title of the message this morning is The Israel of God. Israel of God. This morning we are resuming, finally, after three weeks, our expository preaching. And as such, we are picking up in the latter part of Romans 10. Previously, we saw in our study of chapter 10 that people are only converted by the Holy Spirit's demonstration of grace and power as he works through the gospel message and in so doing opens the hearts of each person that is converted. Remember the We'll call it a famous verse. Everybody quotes it in Romans 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or some translations say the word of God. Now this verse is still true as it stands alone by itself, but it's important to note that the majority of the people who I hear quote it um, seldom have the context in mind because they don't talk about the context. They just quote the verse. The context in Romans 10 is that this gospel truth has been largely rejected by Israel. When I was in uh, sales and marketing, we were taught to handle the customer's objections before they had an opportunity to bring them up. Attorneys, good attorneys, are trained to do the same thing. Paul does this here in Romans 10. He asks the rhetorical question first that someone might raise as an objection. He asks, have they not heard? In other words, one might object and say, well, you know, what do you expect? Not all Jews have heard the gospel, you know. How could they possibly respond if they have not heard it? But Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 18, he says, look, they have indeed heard. And he quotes Psalm 19:4, where the psalmist states that God has made known his presence and power in all creation. The heavens declare God's glory, and his word has gone out in all the earth. We saw earlier that Paul echoes this truth, or he echoed this truth in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, that all men are without excuse, all men being Jew and Gentile alike. All men are without excuse because since the beginning of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clear, clearly seen being what? Understood by what's been made so that men are without excuse. Look around. Look at the order of the universe. Look at the beauty of creation. How could you come away thinking that this all happened via time and chance? There, there is certainly a God. So then, in Romans 10, 18, 
Paul brings up the second objection, the second rhetorical question that might arise as an objection. He says, perhaps they heard, but they didn't understand. And here Paul goes on to cite the law and the prophets to prove that this excuse also does not hold water. water. And so, what does God do? He provokes Israel to jealousy and anger when he reveals himself to the Gentiles. And if the Gentiles understand, Israel can in no way plead ignorance as an objection as to why they don't believe in Christ and the salvation provided by and through him. As a matter of fact, God is exhausted with Israel. And he as much as says so, in Romans 10, 21, Paul quotes Isaiah 65, verse 2, and he says, it says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. God's disgusted with them. Israel's problem is much worse than just mere ignorance. They have responded to God's tender and gracious invitations, plural, and pleadings with blatant disobedience and obstinance. And Christians, we could take, you know, a page out of their book in this regard and be cautious ourselves. Israel had all of these privileges. Paul already outlined those privileges in Romans 9, verses 4 through 8. They had the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, Paul said, and from their race, according to their flesh, is the Christ, who is Lord over all. Blessed be forever. Amen. All of these things point to salvation in Christ. Yet, Paul's kinsmen, according to the flesh, do not possess the faith that is necessary to be saved by Yeshua, by Jesus. And in Romans 10.2, Paul says that they have a zeal, as Pastor Scott read, for God. But their zeal is not according to knowledge. It's not according to right knowledge. They sought to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to God's righteousness through faith in Christ. That's Romans 3.22. Okay, now we will move on to chapter 11, where... The context therein will be thus, the remnant of Israel. That's the context. 
We usually don't talk about the context to the end, but we're going to talk about it up front. The remnant of Israel. Now, one might be thinking, how can this be, given what we just read in Romans 10? Remember, those obstinate, unbelieving Jews that God spreads his hands out to all day long. How can there possibly be a remnant from among them? Well, let's begin answering that question by remembering that Israel's unfaithfulness does not nullify God's faithfulness. Remember Romans 3, verse 3? Do you remember back that far? It's been a while. Paul says, what if some were unfaithful? Will their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And Paul says, by no means. Let God be proved true, though everyone were a liar. Every man's a liar. And we would do well to see that there is a, to see that there's a lesson here for us. And that lesson is that our failure does not compromise the character of God who is true even if everyone else isn't. Paul is quoting, by the way, Psalm 116 there, verse 11. So what's the bottom line? Although Israel broke the covenant, God kept the promises. In God's faithfulness, we see in Romans 11, if you look verses 5 and 6, that God elects a remnant chosen by grace alone. That's verse 5. Verse 6 says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Verse 7. What then, Paul says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, and the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened? As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Verse 9, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This sentiment is so laden throughout Scripture that if you really look, you'll see that Paul's including bits and pieces from Deuteronomy uh, 29.4 and Isaiah 29.10, and then Jesus repeats this in Matthew 13.13. So despite all that willful obstinance and faithlessness, just as God preserved a remnant chosen by grace in Elijah's day, Paul says, so too at this present time, Paul writes that God calls vessels of mercy that he prepared beforehand, not from among the Jews only, 
but also from among the Gentiles. Remember that? Romans 9, 23 and 24. Vessels of mercy, vessels of wrath. What if I want to make vessels of wrath? Just to raise them up and knock them down to show the vessels of mercy my glory. That's what he says in Romans 9. So, it is God who preserves and works this grace alone in the lives of the saved. Remember weeks ago when I said that we would be interpreting Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 as one block of Scripture? Well, there you have it. That's pulling it all together right there. Now, this remnant of Jews and Gentiles, we're talking about a remnant of Jews and Gentiles, not just a remnant of Jews. This remnant of Jews and Gentiles that receive Christ by the electing grace of God alone, as I just said, this echoes chapter 9, 23 and 24. Then Paul quotes Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, and he says, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved, and it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. So Israel, as an ethnic, you got to listen carefully to this, Israel as an ethnic whole, okay, has not obtained righteousness before God. But the elect remnant has obtained it. But the rest, Paul says, were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. Now, this isn't me talking here. I'm quoting scripture. I'm quoting Romans 11, if you want to look, 7 and 8. The majority of the ethnic Jews, Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh, were hardened as an act of divine sovereignty and as God's just judgment for their sins. And that's Romans 11, 7 through 10. Paul says Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, but the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, as a sidebar um, about the word remnant, if you will, the, the Greek word for remnant is lemma. It is used here in the New Testament only, this, this place. And it means a small reminder. That's what the word remnant means, a small reminder. And in the book of Isaiah, the word remnant expresses both God's condemnation and God's mercy. His condemnation in Isaiah 10.22 and his mercy in Isaiah 37, 31, and 32. What I want you to see regarding this word in the context of Romans 11 is that though destruction 
would come upon God's chosen people, ethnic Israel, he would not totally wipe them out or totally annihilate them. He didn't totally eradicate the whole race. God kept his promise and preserved a remnant of people who would reconstitute or reconstruct, if you will, his holy people, which would become the New Testament church or the new Israel. The same word, remnant, in Hebrew carries with it the connotation of restoring fortunes, but not monetary fortunes. It's more in line with restoring blessings. Okay? Now back to Israel for a minute. This Israel that God foreknew was chosen by God to be his holy people through whom he would carry out his saving purpose through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? This we know, this we agree. We also know that the stumbling of the Jews allowed the Gentiles to receive salvation, right? You remember Acts 18, the Apostle Paul rolls into Corinth and he befriends a Jewish couple of the same trade, Aquila and Priscilla, and Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath like he did everywhere he went. And Luke says that Paul was occupied, I love this, occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And what was their response? The Jews' response was that they opposed and reviled him, Luke says. They're stubborn and obstinate people in this book of Romans and in Acts. Okay? They opposed and reviled him, so he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go where? Gentiles. Yes. And the salvation of the Gentiles would in turn make unbelieving Israel envious and as such incite them, the Jews, to salvation. Right? Paul says this straight up. So bottom line, God's inscrutable sovereignty took the hatred that the Jews and the Gentiles had for one another and made it a benefit to them both, using it to bring both groups into the church, okay? This is the remnant or the Israel of God. That's what we're talking about here, the Israel of God. Today, there are many Christians out there who believe that the remnant that Paul speaks of in Romans 11 includes ethnic or Jewish people. They believe that the remnant that Paul is speaking of 
includes the entire Jewish nation of Israel. And they believe that God will bring the entire nation of Israel to Christ in the end. This is a belief that is typically associated with with the eschatological views of premillennial dispensationalism or postmillennialism. Now, we don't have time to get into a study of end times this morning. We're studying Romans. Our purpose is to interpret what Paul means when he speaks of a remnant here in Romans. And as always, we will use Scripture to interpret Scripture here as well as the other tools of inductive Bible study that I ramble about so often. I personally do not see in Scripture the view that all ethnic Israel or the entire nation of Israel will be saved. That's just me. I don't see it. I have great respect for those who espouse these other eschatological views, but it's not my view. When I study Romans 11, along with the other scriptures, I come away with the view that the Israel that Paul speaks of here and in other passages, as we will see, is the church, the Israel of God which includes both Jews and Gentiles. Is everybody with me on that? Now, we're going to get into this in much greater detail next time as we finish out our exegesis of of Romans 11. However, just let me wet your beak a little before we go this morning, give you a preview of two weeks down the road. In Romans 9... Verse 6, right after Paul outlines all of the privileges that ethnic Israel had, you know, the, the prophets, the law, the promises, etc., etc., he goes on to say in verse 6 that it's not as though the word of God has failed. In other words, they got all this good stuff from the Father and they don't believe. But because they don't believe, it's not as though the word of God has failed. Why, Paul? He says, because not not all who are descended from Israel, that is the ethnic Jewish Israel nation, belong to Israel. Not all that are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, the Jews that make up The nation of Israel, just because they neglected to believe that Christ was their Messiah, that doesn't mean the word of God has failed because those who descend from ethnic Israel are not the only ones Christ died for. He died for Gentiles too. He died for both Jews and Gentiles. 
people of all ethnicities, all nations. As a matter of fact, that's the true Israel. That's the bride of Christ. It's the Israel of God. It's the church. Then Paul goes on in verse 8 and says that these are the children of God. They are what? The children of the promise. Who we know in scripture are the descendants of Abraham by faith alone in the promised Messiah and not ethnic descendants of Abraham. Then, as you know, Paul goes on to talk about God's electing grace. And then Paul concludes by quoting Hosea and making the point that it's not just the ethnic Jews who will be included in this salvific election, but also people of all nations will be included. And so the Israel of God is the church, and it is made up of those who believe in Christ as their promised Messiah by faith alone, not by works, and certainly not by ethnicity. We see that Paul is incredibly consistent throughout the entire book of Romans in this regard. The, the, the remnant, I was going to go through actually and list all the scriptures in Romans that Paul confirmed, where Paul confirms these conclusions, and I'd have to talk for another 20 minutes. So I didn't, you're off the hook. Okay? The remnant is made up of Jews and Gentiles, is the point, okay? Um, accepted by faith, I'm sorry, accepting Christ by faith as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. And the New Testament church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, being the new Israel. Now in Galatians 6, 15 and 16, I just want to show you Paul's consistency in places other than Romans. In Galatians 6, verse 15, Paul says, For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The new creation is what's important here. Verse 16, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. He's poo-pooing circumcision. Okay. Then he's saying, the true Israel of God are those who have new life, new creation. They're new creations in Christ. They're born-again believers. And again, we see Paul call believers who are New, the new creation in Christ, the Israel of God right here. He calls them the Israel of God. So, okay, we're going to stop here. Next time, we're going to put our, our horticulture hats on and our um, 
dendrology, dendrology hats, D-E-N-D-R-O-L-O-G-Y. Does anybody know what dendrology is? The study of trees. Yes, the study of trees. And so next time we are going to look at the wild olive shoots and the nourishing roots and the broken branches. And it'll be fun, I promise. Let's pray.